My name is Glenn Robb. If I've not been able to meet you, I am privileged to serve here at North Boulevard as our church planting coordinator, which encompasses also our global church planting or our global missions program as well. So I'm here because I just came back from Africa. Don was describing a little about this. And I've only been back two days, so if I have to stop and clear my throat or something, it's because there's still a little bit of that Saharan desert dust and sand that's, that brought, I brought home with me inside of me somewhere. But we were blessed, all of us who went on that trip. As a matter of fact, I, I don't know what the biggest thing is happening in your life today. Some of you, I know, are looking forward to Valentine's Day, and you may not be prepared yet for it, so you're thinking about that. Some of you have some interest in a big game that's going to occur and some emotional involvement or investment in that, and that's big in your life, and I understand that. Uh, some of us, though, that came back from Africa in the last few days, we have been deeply touched by the possibilities that God has shown us of how He is at work around the world. As a matter of fact, for us, that emotional adjustment back here is the biggest thing that's happening. I want to show you a photo of the people that went with me. There are 10 people who went with me. We're standing there with Shadanke Johnson in this photograph. Uh, Shadanke has preached for us before and has been one of God's instruments to encourage many of us from North Boulevard to see bigger possibilities for the mission work that we're doing. And he's been a huge blessing. This group included some representatives from the East Murfreesboro campus right here where I'm standing. It included some people from our MT316 University Outreach Campus. It included some people from our West Murfreesboro campus, including David Hunziker, who was on the trip with me. It included a couple of people from a church that we helped to start in 2017 in Savannah, Tennessee. And so they're one of our partner churches, and a couple of them came and went with us on this trip in order to have a bigger vision of what God is doing and what is possible in our global missions. So we called it a vision trip. Now, I went as a representative of our online campus. So if you're watching us online, then thank you so much. And I identify with the online campus, especially in the last couple of years. And so I appreciate the opportunity to get to go and to represent all of you. So get ready in the future. You're going to have an opportunity to go, I pray. But I have to tell you a little something about the trip and the message today before we started, just as a matter of honest disclosure. David Hunsicker was, was scheduled to do the message this morning, having also returned from Africa with me just in the last few days. But he and his entire household of four kids and wife, they've all gotten sick in the middle of the night last night. And so this morning he asked if I would bring the message. And we're using the slides that David prepared and the message David prepared. And uh, I've, actually, if you're one of the West Campus people and love David, I brought this for you also. Uh, hold on here. There we go. Whoop, whoop, went too far. Come on. Yeah, I've got to learn how to use the clicker. So here's David, okay? He's a little nicer looking than me. I took this picture just a few days ago in the country of Chad, where we were interviewing some of the mission work, that, uh, missionaries that we're supporting over there. So if you love David and wanted to hear him this morning, look at the photo here while I'm talking, okay? <laughs> You'll be happy. Next thing is, if at the end of this message you feel like you've been touched and your heart's been opened and, and you're more committed to following Jesus, then thank David. Find him in the next week or two and thank him for the message that he prepared for us today. 
On the other hand, if you wake up at the end of the service and think, why did I spend my time with that today? Then also go to David and tell him, David, I'm so sorry Glenn messed up that sermon that you prepared for us. He can't lose either way, but we are praying that he and his family recover quickly and that he'll be back with us. I do want to tell you something about clothing. I'm wearing a a suit that was made for me on our trip, and he had one made also. Actually, four of us had suits made like this, and we're very pleased with it. As a matter of fact, it feels a little like pajamas. It's almost cheating to say that it, it's uh, something you can go to church in. But last Sunday, we were worshiping in Nigeria at a church larger than this one. And uh, you may not believe this, but on the way to that church, we passed a church building that holds, get this, 100,000 people. So we were in some of the least Christianized places on earth during part of our trip and some of the most Christianized places on earth. So last week going to a big church, I was pleased to have had an outfit that fit in well with the people dressing up and going to church last week. And they noted that. They said, Glenn, you, you fit in well today. But Hunzi selected a blue suit, not a black suit. And apparently he looked better in that than I do because Everywhere he went, especially on the way back home, he chose to use it to wear the suit on the way home because it was so comfortable. And in the airports at every baggage claim place and every security check, the people said, you look really good in that. You look really good. This is no joke. I'm, I'm telling you this is the truth. In Paris, as he got off and was changing planes, a, an African guy comes from across the room, pushing through the people and comes over to Hunzi and says... I have never seen a white guy make a black man's suit look better than you make that one look right there. <laughs> so I'm starting a movement. The next time we let David preach for us here, uh, let's all ask him to wear his suit, and you can make your own determination as to whether he looks better or I look better. We'll, we'll let you figure that out later. Uh, before I finish with clothing, I must say this as well. In the middle of our trip, we also went north in the country of Chad far enough that we were in the southern tip of the desert area and we went to some villages that were Arab villages and the people were wearing turbans and the guys who took me there were wearing turbans. So I said to one of them, Samba, I like that turban. I need some information about this. Oh, here, you can have it. He sent it and, and I'm, I'm going to show it to you, but I need help. Okay, I need someone who's a little bit older and knows how to work a turban to help me. Now, I don't want younger people because I know all the younger people are going to say, just YouTube it, it's not a problem. And I'm, I'm a hands-on learner, so I need someone who's older because here's what he gave me, the turban that he had on his head. I had no idea there was that much cloth in those things they wear on their heads, and now I'm not sure what to do with it. So if you can help, come find me afterwards. I can use it. Well, David Hunsicker wanted to teach you to be ready for your own mission trip. Our first stop was in uh, Sierra Leone. I went on with some of the folks on to Chad and then to Nigeria. But in Sierra Leone, the official language is English. They teach English in the schools. And then they also speak a lot of different tribal languages, Mindy or Timni or several different languages around the country. And then there's a tr sort of a generic trade language that all of the common people speak, and it's called Creo, K-R-I-O, a little different than what we think when we hear that word. And it's a language that's based off of English. And so if you wanted to say hello to someone in any part of the country, you would go up and you would say it in uh, Creo. And the way you would say that is this. You'd say, Audibadi. So I'm going to count to three, and then all of you say that with me. One, two, three, 
Audi body. Now, it's based on English, as you can tell, because you can see the roots of it that says, how is the body? And that's, that's a beautiful way to greet someone, don't you think? Recognizing that we are spirit and body, and so you're asking, well, how's your body doing? And so they would say, Audi body. Every time you'd meet someone, Audi body. And the response is this. I want you to learn this as well. The response is, the body fine. And you can, <laughs> you can see where that comes from, right? All right. So I'm going to ask how the body, and you're going to respond. Okay, how the body? Now you're ready to go on a mission trip. David Hunziker was right. Every, we've had about three dozen people from this church to go already on one of these vision trips to see this in action and to understand more about it, trying to learn also what we can apply here. But uh, find some of them first. Because some of them are here or some of them in the West Campus worship service. And if you see someone dressed in an African outfit, find them. Otherwise, find someone who's gone before. Ask how their experience was. Ask if they've got a photo on their phone they can show you. Ask how it changed their life. And ask what they suggest that we apply here in our own uh, efforts to follow Christ here. And you will be blessed. You'll be incredibly blessed. Well, today's message is a continuation of our Extraordinary series, a series of lessons based on Hebrews chapter 11, where there is a list of people given who became extraordinary because of their faith and their willingness to step up and to live by faith. Today's message focuses on Hebrews 11, verse 23 and following, and it is related to Moses. Now, of all the people listed in Hebrews 11, there are several, if, depending on how you count, if there's about a dozen primary highlighted people. And then there's a bunch of others that the Hebrew writer says, I don't even have time to mention this one and this one and this one and so many others. And so there's a lot. But out of all of them, only one got more press time than Moses, and that was Abraham. So Abraham has a lot written about him in Hebrews 11. And after that, most people are just mentioned, but Moses is given quite a bit of attention as well because, I think, there's a lot to learn about Moses. And we're going to read together what Hebrews 11 says about Moses. By faith, Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born because they saw he was no ordinary child, and they were not afraid of the king's edict. Now, the story of Moses doesn't begin with his faith, but like many of us, at least this is my story of faith, my story of faith begins with my parents' faith, and so does his. By faith, his parents made a gutsy decision to do something for God, and that was to protect their child. We'll read about it as it goes along here. But they had an edict from the king known as Pharaoh in Egypt. If you know the story of Moses, then you'll remember this. If you're new to the story of Moses, then you're going to enjoy reading about him when you go back and look at all of the details. Actually, Moses is one of the best-known stories of the Old Testament all the way around the world. Many people know about Moses because of the parting of the Red Sea, because his parents saved him by putting him in a basket and floating him in the river in order to hide him from the people that the king had sent to kill all of the male babies in the land at that time. He ended up being the one who survived. Think about that. Moses had no peers that were his age in school because, or among his people at least, because they had all been killed. 
But Moses was protected by his parents who had a courageous heart and were willing, as this passage says, by faith to follow what they knew was right instead of following what had been dictated to them. The very next verse says, By faith Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. So if you remember the story, or if you don't, here's what the story is. In the basket, he was discovered by Pharaoh's daughter, who had gone down to the Nile River to bathe, and she loved the little child, brought him into her home, and adopted Moses. So he was raised in the court of the king. He had access to all of the riches, the best food, the best education. Everything that the world at that time had to offer was at Moses' fingertips. But as he grew up, he began to realize that there was a choice to be made and that there are some things of greater value than others. And he ended up refusing to be known as the daughter, uh, as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. The next verse clarifies a little bit of that. Verse 25, he chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. Now, all of us face this kind of dilemma of trying to decide what is most valuable in life, what should we pursue, what will control our life, who will we give our life to. Those are questions that everyone asks whether they admit it or not. And Moses chose differently than most people would have. Because most people, given the riches of Egypt and anything that you wanted to pursue as your pleasure, most people would pursue that pathway. But Moses decided, no, there is a greater reward and there are some things in the name of God through Christ that are more important and more valuable than all of the riches that the world could possibly offer. Or as this verse says, all of the fleeting pleasures of sin that you could pursue in a lifetime. The next verse continues the same theme saying, he regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because, get this, he was looking ahead to his reward. Somehow Moses realized what we all have to realize is that all of your reward doesn't come right now. That if you pursue God, that if you seek to serve Him, there is something beyond and there is something greater than the immediate attractions of the world. And we have to be responsible in our lives and make a value judgment on what are the greater things. Hebrews 11, 28, uh, 27 continues by saying, By faith Moses left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He persevered because he saw him who is invisible. Now get that. You need to let that soak in a little bit. Moses pursued what was invisible, sacrificing that which was visible in front of him. You've got a similar choice to make. Because the world will put things in front of you and say, this is all there is. This is what life is all about. This is what you should pursue. This is what's most important. But if you have a heart of faith, if you stop and ask the difficult questions of life, which include, 
Where did I come from? How should I really be living? Why am I here? And where am I going? If you stop to consider those things, you will realize there is a greater reality at work in the world and that that to pursue those things is of far, far greater value. The next verse, 28, says, By faith he kept the Passover and the application of blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn would not touch the firstborn of Israel. And then the last verse we're going to read, By faith... The people passed through the Red Sea as on dry ground. But when the Egyptians tried to do so, they were drowned. The decisions Moses made impacted a lot of people besides just him. Get that. Because the world and Satan will tell you otherwise. It's your life. Live it how you want to. It doesn't matter what other people think. What you do doesn't impact other people. Satan will try to get you to think like that. But here is evidence that Moses made a choice and his choice ended up blessing an entire nation of people, actually blessing the entire world. That God's people were saved from Egyptian bondage through the actions of Moses. That they were saved spiritually as well as physically. And it says they passed through the Red Sea as on dry ground. The miracles that we know about were all linked to God working through the life of Moses because he chose the greater things. And that becomes our task today as well. So our message is really about how an ordinary person, a baby hidden in the river, becomes an extraordinary person in the hand of God when willing to live by faith. We're called to be the same thing, but here's here's what you need to learn. People of faith discern between the lesser and the greater things, okay? People of faith instinctively or intentionally will discern the difference between the lesser and the greater things. So, choose the greater things. Choose the greater things. That's exactly what Moses did. With everything laid before him, he made a choice. He chose the greater things. And the impact is still continuing in our world today from what he did. Other people, all of us actually, face similar choices. Some people more similarly to Moses than others. I want you to know about one person that I met, all of our group met actually, when we were in Africa a few days ago. His name is Simeon. This is a picture of Simeon that I took beside the roots of a cotton tree in Sierra Leone. In that part of West Africa, cotton trees are very famous. Actually, they're some of the largest trees, as you can tell by just this corner of the roots. Uh, In the center of many of the cities towns and villages, there will be a cotton tree that marks, uh, like we would have a courthouse, that will mark the center of the city where community decisions are made. Uh, That's true even in the largest city of Sierra Leone, Freetown. The most famous tree of the nation of Sierra Leone and the oldest tree is in Freetown at the center of the city. It's uh, similar to this tree, but it's surrounded by a wall and it's hard to get to and hard to take a picture of. I liked this tree even better. But I had Simeon, I met him near this tree, and I had him stand beside the tree pointing back to a building which is in this center of the city and kind of the community square to the community center where he started 
a discovery study with the assistance of a person of peace who received him in the village or the little town. And they began to let the Bible itself speak to the hearts of some of the people willing to study with him. He didn't go preaching and saying, here's my doctrines, here's what my church teaches. Actually, North Boulevard supports Simeon. He's one of our missionaries, one of your missionaries, because people responded well in advance when we started to do our giving campaign a couple of years ago. Some people gave money early and we've already started investing it in disciple making movements and church planting in other parts of the world. And Simeon is a product of that. So he started this group and now it's moved to another location and he's actually recruited other people to help him start churches. He said, this method is so easy, you don't have to have a college degree to do it. Let me show you how to do a study. You keep this one going, and I'll go to the next village and start another one. He started more than two dozen churches since we started helping him and gave money for him to move into this region where there were none. And that's only been since 2019. No, 2020. It's only been a year and a half. So in a year and a half, he started a couple of dozen churches, recruited other people to help him. As a matter of fact, there locally, they call him the church planting champion, which I think is a neat word. But what it means is he doesn't go and start each church. He's championing the concept of church planting and recruiting other people who sometimes are not very old in the faith to come and help and to do one here and to do one there. We visited several of them, and I was inspired that he has been able to do that much work that quickly. The churches are not large. The, the largest one that I saw would have about 30 people. Most of them had 15 to 20 people. But even though small, reproducing them at that pace has incredible power for the kingdom of God and the growth of Christianity around the world. And that is what we believe in. So he is one of my champions. And I am pleased to be a part of a church that is willing to support people like this on the other side of the world. I want you to know one thing about Simeon, and then I'm, I'm going to let you hear a little of his story and an admonition to you in his own words. Simeon was born into a ruling class family of one of the districts there of the country. Uh, they call them paramount chiefs, and so they will be the chief over a chiefdom, which they still use that word. But the chiefdom would be something like we think of as our political districts, and the paramount chief would be something like in this state we would think of as a senator, a state senator. And so imagine that we didn't vote for state senators, but they were left in this certain family, and the oldest son of each family member became the next paramount chief, or as we would think of it, a senator, a, a political representative for that district. Well, he was scheduled to become that, but he had heard a message about the gospel. Not enough to believe. He wasn't convinced. He, he still was following the animistic religions. But he heard enough to realize that there are some things that are lesser and some that are greater. Some that are right and some that are wrong. And he began to realize that the rituals involved in accepting the chiefdom were horrible and satanic and against everything God created humanity to be. And he wrestled and he struggled with this. Even before deciding to follow Jesus, he struggled with it. And later he did decide to follow Jesus. And he renounced that and told his family he could not accept the chiefdom. And they renounced him and kicked him out. And so he could have had 
political clout. He could have had the ability to travel. He could have had all sorts of things. He could have had lands that, that he would have inherited. And all of that was taken away from him, somewhat like the story of Moses. And he now has become a hero in my book because he sought the things that were greater. Listen to Simeon's own words here. When you are a paramount chief, that you are a king, it means you have so many opportunities, you know, like traveling abroad, having cars, the government pay you money, and all those things. So I forfeit all those things because I learned from the scripture. And the Bible says, for what profited a man if he should gain the whole world and lose your soul? And today I am happy, though I don't have all those things, and but I have Christ and I have peace and I have peace of mind and I have hope that someday if I die, I'll make heaven. So, brothers and sisters, I'm here to appeal to you that by the masses of God, that you should put your trust in God and you should focus on Jesus and heaven because as you live on this earth, it is appointed unto men once to die and after which judgments. So I choose Jesus and forfeit everything. I am today, even though I don't have a car, a house, even a land to purchase, but I'm, I'm the most happiest person and I'm a church planter. I'm reaching out all places in the villages, towns, and uh, I believe I'm also making disciples. I think that is my destiny and that is my calling and that is God's plan for my life. There you go. I just find it refreshing to be in a church that's willing to support people like that and to be privileged to go and to visit the areas where he is working right now. I was inspired, and I pray that you are as well. When you get to go and visit, you'll be even more inspired. He exemplifies for us what Hebrews 11 says, that Moses, in, that, in the case of Hebrews 11, regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. Simeon regarded disgrace for Christ being kicked out of his family and losing the earthly treasures as of being insignificant when compared to the value of following Christ. I want to be like that. And our call is for each of us to be like that. Don't forget how the enemy will pull you away from it. Even in these verses, it says clearly that the lesser things are the fleeting pleasures. That's what the Scripture said there. The lesser things are the fleeting pleasures. You've got to get in your mind that these are fleeting. They are temporary. That the eternal and the real is what God alone offers. And the earthly treasure may look glamorous and marvelous, but it is nothing in comparison to what Christ offers each one of us. And so we are called to do exactly what Moses did, exactly what Simeon did, and to, to make an assessment of what things are most valuable in life and to make wise choices choosing the things of greater value. Now, I want to tell you a little a bit of a mission story and mission strategy. This was taken actually just Thursday. And you'll notice you can tell who the missionary is there, right? Uh, we borrowed a vehicle from a church in Nigeria 
last week and went to several different activities and visited some missionaries and mission points that we're supporting there. And in that city where we were, it's one of the most Christianized places on earth, as I mentioned a few minutes ago. So there were Christians, and the word missionary is common. We traveled only a couple of hours north on the border of the area that is more risky and more violent. People came from two hours north of there down to meet us so that it would be safe for them and for us to talk to us about the challenges that they're facing as missionaries where you cannot drive into a village with that vehicle or else they'll shoot it up and are likely to shoot you as well. The violence and the atrocities and the persecutions that they mentioned were absolutely astounding and some completely unrepeatable in public. It's just amazing. But here's what I want you to know. Those people are not saying, because I can't take the missionary van into the village, we're giving up. On the contrary, they told stories of five people that they knew in their network who had been kidnapped last year alone because of the work that they're doing. And four others in their network alone who are planting churches who had been killed for their faith. Micah Degbele is a friend of mine that North Boulevard supports there. And we were in the meeting and Mike said, when they mentioned one of the names of the person's killed, Mike said, oh no, not Peter. And they said, yes, 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 Peter. And he was just heartbroken emotionally. But I, I was amazed at this. The guy who was talking said, yes, yes, he's dead. And also in one of these other villages, and he went on telling another story. It has become so common, the violence and persecution that they're facing, that they don't hardly pause for it even. They just go on. But I'm telling you, those people demonstrated a courage and a faith that is exceptional beyond imagination. None of them were saying, and so we're just going to give up and leave. And we're going to quit. And the gospel can no longer go to those places. On the contrary, they were asking, how can the gospel penetrate into these places? I'm also proud to be supporting people like that, some of whom I cannot show you their picture for security concerns. We've been asking the same question at North Boulevard for the last few years. And we've had some help as we've done research on mission strategies and the phenomena that we know of as movements within Christianity. This is a picture of Jerry Trousdale, one of North Boulevard's members. Uh, his book that he wrote with Glenn Sunshine about the kingdom unleashed. Many of you have read that, I know. Many of you know Jerry and are familiar with the work and research that he's done. But he chronicles for us many of these stories about how the gospel indeed can penetrate areas we previously thought to be closed. And the trick we have found in those areas, at least, is these disciple-making movements. Now, it's not really a trick. It's not really a secret. It's not really complicated, even. I want to give you a little overview. A disciple-making movement, sometimes referred to as a DMM, seeks to be rapid in its multiplication of making disciples and spreading churches. It seeks to be relational, focusing on the relational component exactly as Jesus did, finding a person of peace to enter a community, a family, a town, or a village, and then to do something very reproducible, simply turning people's hearts back to the Scripture and letting God teach them what they need to do. It takes patience, 
Because sometimes we get impatient and want to say, and we want to give you all of the doctrines that we and our forefathers have determined need to be important. But you can't do that if you want to be, if you want to allow God's Spirit to work on the hearts of people that you've prayed in order to reach, then you use this kind of a method. Allow God to work on their hearts and trust the Spirit to bring them into truth. The beauty is this. At a later visit I made in the country of Chad, Von Gina, one of the missionaries that we also help, he said to me, Glenn, it's the most amazing thing. If people use this strategy because they're simply opening the Scriptures, teaching the Scriptures, and letting, letting God teach from the Scriptures, it doesn't matter. You can't even tell what kind of church or brand of church or denomination or who funded it or what they did because they all look the same. They're all going back to the basic principles of Christianity. And he said, Glenn, it, that's not all. But in all of these churches, they stop arguing and fighting and bickering with each other about things that aren't important because they all end up trying their best to make disciples and start new churches. I love that part of this strategy. And that's one of the reasons that North Boulevard has started leaning in more and more to this kind of strategy as we do uh, advanced and new works in our global missions program. When it works well, a disciple-making movement will allow you to see disciples reproducing disciples, small groups reproducing small groups, prayer teams reproducing prayer teams, ministry teams reproducing ministry teams, churches reproducing churches. The reproduction component is really what is key to the rapid success in areas where this has functioned well. As we've come to a, a, a way to analyze these, we've made a distinction of what is a movement and what is not. Movement meaning it's large enough and healthy enough, it's likely to continue reproducing even without outside support. And that would be when at least 100 churches have been planted, especially when they're smaller churches, there needs to be a larger number, and at least four generations deep, meaning one church started another church, started another church, started another church. What that keeps you from doing is hiring somebody who's a great public speaker and he goes around the country and he starts three or four hundred churches. But those churches are weak and do not reproduce later on. And so it, it seeks to implement a, a degree of healthiness into the movement. Here are some new churches that we visited just three weeks ago when we started our trip. This is a new church, uh, and you can see if that church were to start another church, here's another new one that we visited, and that church to start another new church, even if they're small, and then that one were to start another one. This one actually has a temporary structure with benches and looks, starts to look more like a church building that we're familiar with. If it goes four different levels deep, then the fourth one is likely to say, we can do this too. We can start another church, and they will continue the movement going forward. That is our prayer. As you may know, if you've been with us for a few weeks, we're in the middle of preparation for a giving campaign that will focus on making disciples. And we're looking at investing money here locally in Murfreesboro in order to make disciples here, near, within the United States as well. But I personally in part because of my job and previously serving as a missionary in Latin America, I'm excited about the part of the funding that is going to be committed to pursuing more disciple-making movements around the globe, especially in Africa and in Asia. 
we're designating 1.3 million of our total giving goal to go to specifically the kind of works that we have been visiting in the last few weeks. Actually, the last three weeks are the first time anyone from North Boulevard has been blessed to go and visit on the field some of the disciple-making movement missions that we are actually supporting. And we came back committed more than ever to pursue this methodology and this method or style of mission work around the globe. We have become students of this. Some of that means we're trying to learn from the people implementing it how to pray and fast for the kingdom of God. We're trying to learn how to depend on the Word of God more instead of teaching my ideas, my doctrines, my understanding, but to let God's Word operate in the hearts of people to bring them to Christ and to start other churches. We're trying to train up and to send out disciples with the goal of sending people out, not just keeping people here for ourselves. We're trying to develop a deeper heart for the lost people of the world because that is what is required in order for this to work around the world. As you begin to see the results, you see also that God is at work providing, number one, freedom for captives. Here's an example. Just three weeks ago, I met Amarson. This is in the country of Sierra Leone. Now, Marson was previously a part of a gang. He was selling drugs. He had used drugs most of his life. He was still a young person. And some people from one of the churches there came and started praying with the people on the street who were selling drugs. And he became convicted that there could be something of greater value instead of the lesser value things he was pursuing. He became committed to following Jesus Christ. He was baptized. And when I met him in this photograph, we met him in a church that he had started. And it was a small, fledgling church, but he had started that church and was committed to seeing it grow and glorify God. He also is getting married, I think it's next week. So you may have time to get on a plane and run over there and, and see his wedding. And here's an idea. If, if some of you are not married yet, pay attention. He was selling t-shirts to raise money for the wedding. So this is the t-shirt. There's some creative thinking, isn't it? And so he was selling the t-shirts. I, I feel a little guilty. I didn't buy one. I should have. So if you go, go over there and buy a shirt for me as well. I think that'd be, that'd be appropriate. Well, he was freed from captivity of Satan, and he now is planting churches and glorifying God. Here's another. See, we see God at work. Let me back up one. Uh, in providing a purpose for living. And I've got an example of that. Peter here standing beside David Hunsicker. Peter worked as a plumber's helper and then as a plumber. Uh, he has a reasonable profession. He has a family. He looks young, but he's actually a little older than he looks there. And he had decided to start this church. We're in, the, we're in sort of a, a balcony or front area on the porch of someone's house which is where he started a church. Actually, don't get too complicated in your thinking, where he started a discovery study because he found a person of peace willing to let him start a Bible study at that home. That's, he made it that easy. It's not as complicated as you might think. He started that, and it has become a church because several people have been converted from it. And down the street 
Inside of the house is a lot that already has some bricks on it where he's praying a building will be built for the church to grow more and to begin meeting in. So he carried David Hunsicker down the street for Hunsie to pray over that lot that the building would be built before we come back the next time, which I thought was appropriate because Hunsie's also praying for a lot here in Murfreesboro that we, we, God willing, later this year will be able to build a building for our own West Murfreesboro campus as well. As God is at work around the world, he provides opportunities for growth. This is Frederick. Frederick works with Simeon in that same district. And Frederick was trying to find ways to penetrate the community and to gain access and respect within the community. He discovered this. He also is supported by North Boulevard's missions funding as well. Frederick discovered this. There is a school in this district and there is only one school in the district. It was built by and operated by the Islamic uh, community. It has an elementary school and a middle school, but no high school, even though they've already built the building there for the high school. A, A little compound with three different buildings, one for each of the schools. And so Frederick creatively goes and asks, could he provide a high school for the community? And so now, this, is, this stretches my mind. I can hardly imagine this anywhere else in the world. It speaks actually to the, the uh, good nature of the people of Sierra Leone and their politicians as much as anything else probably. But there is a school built by the Islamic community and two of the schools there are run by them and one is a Christian high school right in the middle of them. And so our people went and sang church songs to the children of the Islamic school on the front steps of their own school because we have access to that thanks to Frederick and his creative thinking. And he too is committed like Simeon in starting discovery studies and praying that those will develop to convert people and as they are baptized they become small churches in the region as well. Here's a picture of one of the uh, classes of high schoolers there at that school. God also is providing healing for every disease. These two men are in the country of Mali. They also are supported by missions funding from North Boulevard to start churches in their case in 100% Muslim communities in the northern region on the border of Sudan. And they're difficult areas to get into. In their case, they did special training to serve as medic assistants in hospitals so that they could go into the small community hospitals in the region and offer their services and they have jobs there to provide income and to give them access to the community. And they also are starting churches. But it's, it's incredible the barriers and the resistance that they are facing. But they have been thankful for the methods that we have made available to them through training and teaching. Actually, not these two, but another person told me that he had gone into such a dangerous area that he was thankful North Boulevard had provided the training for this style of missions or else he would have been killed by now. He said the people that he's working with were so hostile that if he had gone in with his traditional missions methodologies, he would have been killed. But this is so inoffensive in allowing people to discover God's Word on their own that he credits our work with saving his life. Well, these guys are standing beside me and two people who supervise the work in that region, and they do 
ongoing training, ongoing follow-up, ongoing support as a reminder that it's not quite as simple as you just go start a study here and then it flourishes forever and you never have to go back. There is a requirement for ongoing follow-up training and guidance. And these two guys on, uh, standing beside me in the photograph give that guidance to dozens of missionaries on the field in the fringes who are actually starting the churches. And it is a beautiful, beautiful thing. Well, God ultimately provides a melody for every heart. And I believe that's important for us to remember. That God will put a song in your heart. I mentioned that some of our people sang songs with the children on the steps of that school. And I want you to listen to that right here. Making melody in my heart to the King of Kings. Who would have thought you could sing something like that in that setting? And until we opened the field uh, with mission work from this church in the last couple of years, it would not have been possible in that region at all. Our prayer is that that melody will fill all of our hearts. And as a reminder, just to close here, you as a person of faith, like others throughout history and since Moses, are called to discern between the lesser and the greater things. So my call today is that you choose the greater things. Thank you.